for the Catholic Church. This is a big business, Jess, and I think that what's happened is money got into their way of saying, well, hey, let's look at the economics. I want my job security. Let's tell people whatever they want to hear, and uh, that's what they're doing. And so what's happening is this group, New Beginning, they're saying we need to be faithful to the magisterium and to the universal church, and we're going to be forced to withdraw from our local parish, and, you know, what are we going to do? And this could possibly happen in the article saying other parts of the world, even in America, Jesse, we could have two churches. Yeah, we have... uh in fact, we do actually right now. Yeah. yeah, we actually do, Terry. It's just it's just something that we don't speak up, speak yeah. about it openly. But there are two churches in exactly. America, and what's happening in the synod, in this German synod, yeah. is that it, with, without a doubt, it's been hijacked by special interest groups, by modernist Catholics. Exactly. And and what they're trying to do is they're trying to change the teachings of the church on marriage and family life. Uh, the only people that seem to have a voice in this synodal in the synodal. Uh, uh, in the Senate of Synodality, are modernist, woke Catholic infiltrators who intend on destroying the church from within. And here's another paragraph that says, we are talking about a hostile takeover of the Catholic Church by the LGBT lobby. That's right. Under the pretext of a synodal debate, said Kelly, yeah. who expects pressure to increase on bishops in the coming months as the synodal process concludes. Another paragraph that jumps out at me is Jump. towards the end. It yeah. says... In its briefing, the New Beginning, this lay Catholic group that's trying to hold the line of lay, of lay Catholics and call the bishops to account, it says New Beginning made clear that after the Synodal Way's, the Synodal Way's final assembly in March, the church in Germany, in Germany will no longer be what it was before. Of course not. Yeah, Terry, let's, let's just be honest here. For the past uh, you know, couple of decades, we had, we had a good tag team. Uh, St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, both of them worked feverishly to to route this resurgence of modernism, which came under the name of the spirit of Vatican II. Yeah. And and Jesse, I just have to mention one more thing. We've talked about this. Go on YouTube, type in Pope Benedict XVI visiting Germany. Tell us what happened, Jesse. This is a good one. Yeah. The German uh, prelates, bishops, and cardinals. As Pope Benedict came out of the, he came out of a helicopter, <laughs> him and the brutal. president of Germany, and they're walking down in the middle, and you have a column, uh, you have a, uh, bishops on both sides, mm-hmm. and they're walking in between both bishops, the German bishops, the prime minister of Germany and Pope Benedict. As Pope Benedict would extend his right hand to shake hands with his brother bishops, they would pull their hand away, or they would turn around, making a bite of about exactly. face like a pirouette, yep. Yep. and they'd, they'd, they'd give them their back. See, that's that, and this is the problem. We have a church for decades that has basically independently thought of what they believe. And Jesse, let's be honest. Uh, in Germany, the and I have friends that live in Germany. They've been uh, uh, women have been you know con celebrating mass. There's been all kinds of liturgical abuses, and nothing's been done. And so I think that the lay people are implementing what Fulton J. Sheen said about who's going to save the church, the lay yeah. people. We're going to say, hey, you know what? Not on my watch. I'm going to call you out, Father, because I love you, Bishop. I'm calling you out. And again, now, Jesse, Cardinal uh, Petro Pallone, he's the Holy See Secretary of State. He's another it's, corrupt man. Yeah, you know, he's supposed to be expected to intervene prior to this. Right. Intervene? What are we waiting for, dude? These guys have been off their crock for how many years in this process? It needs to be stopped, and you need to be just telling these people, you know what? If you want to be Catholic, let me hear you say the Apostles' Creed. 
Let me hear you believe in what we, uh, the perennial teachings of the church. If you don't, you're done. Like, we'll get somebody else in there. But I don't know if that will happen, but we need to pray that they have the grace to really do what's necessary. And sometimes discipline is necessary from the very top to go, you know what, guys? That's not how it works. You're done. Yeah, the synod of synodalities is basically they're appealing to the spirit of Vatican II. It's modernism. It's, it's everybody' opinion. No, who you know? There's yeah. no truth. It's no all, doctrine. There's no yeah. no doctrine. It's 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 how people feel. And Terry, let's just, you know, we, we, Father Peter Servins, because I heard him say years ago, he says yeah. that at every church council in and synod in history, there have been bishops who were not on the side of God. From okay. Nicaea to Vatican II, That's true, and all the local synods in between. So Father Servins, because I mean, he just, he's just uh, a theologian. He says, look at. You have bad, in, in the 21 councils that we've had, we've had people that were on the side of Satan that were in those councils, and, and uh, there's nothing different in Vatican II, and nothing different from the Synod. Also, I think something that's, uh, yeah. that has to be said about the Synod that's very important, this is, this is essentially the Great Reset of the church. That's what it is. It's, this, this Synod is the Great Reset, great reset of the church. Yep. And any bishop not objecting to the synod is causing serious scandal because only 1% of Catholics were surveyed, even non-Catholics and anti-Catholics were surveyed as well for this German synod. It's a total fraud. The church synods are being used to politicize the Catholic Church, to implement the spirit of Vatican II, and to use her presence on all five continents to implement an anti-human left-wing agenda. I, I, God bless the, these lay people Amen. that are New openly beginning. protesting this German synod, New Beginning, yep. because uh, all they're trying to do is promote some type of political agenda, Terry. And you know, our Anglicans told, Anglican friends have told us this is exactly what they did 40 years ago, and nobody's in their church today. Can we learn from them? I hope so. Hey, we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but then also why true beauty attracts and converts the youth. Stay with us, man. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess, any final thoughts before we go on to our beauty? The true beauty attracts the converts, the youth. I, I think what the, we need the to same do thing. Is... Apl- the same thing applies to doctrine. Yeah, uh, exactly. The, the, the doctrine of the church is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's attractive. We yeah. don't need to. We don't need to change doctrine to keep up with the world. Right. In fact, John the Apostle calls that in First John. <clears throat> I forget which chapter he says. Uh, you know. Don't become progressive. If you become progressive, you abandon the doctrine of Christ. That's what Germany's doing. They're becoming progressive. The Bible says, not Jesse Romero, the Bible says in 1 John, I think it's in chapter 3, if if you become so progressive, you lose, you abandon the doctrine of Christ. That's what's happening in Germany. And another comment I'll make, Jesse, is weighing one with the world, the saints, the scriptures, for 2,000 years, we always knew that if we had the same page as the world would be on, like homosexuality, divorce, contraception, abortion, if we're with the world, we know for sure that we're not with Christ. And so that's one of the prerequisites I look at on all these moral issues. What's the world saying? Well, that's I'm, I'm going to be on the opposite side because the world thinks in worldly views, and the church should be thinking— in godly ways, because God's given us divine revelation to live by. We call them the Ten Commandments, man. Yeah, not the Ten Suggestions or the Ten Opinions. Right on. Right. Yeah. 
Why True Beauty attracts and converts youth. A recent study by a youth organization linked to England's Anglican Church states that church buildings are very influential in the conversion of youth to Christianity. Yeah, basketball gyms just don't cut it, trust nope, me. Nope. Analyzing this study, the Daily Telegraph of London quotes that around 13% of teenagers said they decided to become a Christian after a visit to a church or a cathedral. Yeah. And that the influence of a church building was more significant than attending a youth group, going to a wedding, or speaking to other Christians about their faith. Yep. The Telegraph adds that the study suggests that church-employed methods, such as youth groups, are less effective to attract teenagers than prayer or a visit to a church. A brilliant, brilliant information. What attracts these English youth to churches and, and cathedrals, many of them jewels from the Middle Ages, <laughs> stolen from Catholic worship during the apostasy <laughs> and schism of the lurid King Henry VIII. The answer is, is that young people are attracted by beauty of the architecture, the colorful stained glass windows, and the slender towers and domes that defy the ages. They seek out all that is missing in the new soulless and lifeless churches built according to the rules of so-called modern architecture. Youth's attraction to beauty gives rise to philosophical questions. What is beauty? Is it subjective or objective? Since ancient philosophers, especially Aristotle, have studied beauty and tried to explain it adequately, following in the footsteps of the Greek philosopher St. Thomas Aquinas masterfully addressed this issue, he explains that ultimately beauty is one of the most enchanting and divine perfections that brings us back to the Creator and leads us to love Him. In a Summa Theologica, St. Thomas Aquinas says that as images and likenesses of God, all created beings participate and reflect this divine beauty in some way. That's right. However, our inquiry mm -hmm. is limited to the effect of the beauty of Christian architecture and how it, what it produces on today's youth. We have to resort to earlier times since almost everything in the church has suffered from a modern influence due to the Second Vatican Council's opening of the church to the world. From the liturgy, to hardly sacred, secularized church music, to dreadful architecture, all aspects of religious life today have sacrificed beauty and succumbed to a dominating ugliness and bad taste associated with modernity. Yes, I got to tell you, brother, the guy's spot on. You know, yeah, interest in this good. beauty of religious architecture among youth, people is surprising and universal. This story from the University of Nebraska, check this out, folks. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas Chapel uh, is noteworthy. When, when increasing numbers of university students, 25,000 of them, started to attend Mass, <clears throat> the old chapel became too small that a new one had to be built. The increased religiosity of the students was a welcome surprise. However, even more amazing was the involvement of the students in the design of the chapel. They presented many suggestions for embellishing the new chapel based on what they saw in traditional churches. I know this bishop as a priest from Wichita, Kansas. His name is Most Reverend James Conley, a good guy. Uh, he's the Bishop of Lincoln. He was responsible for the university chapel. So he welcomed these suggestions. He selected the architects that favored a classical religious architectural revival and the prelate states. And I like this. We think the style and the whole structure of St. Thomas Aquinas Church will communicate beauty and beauty attracts. 
We believe that the students will be drawn to that. They already have. They are always there are always students in there. And Jesse, I'm going to let you read because my voice is starting to fade. Continue. This is really good yeah. about the Adoramus. For his part, the chief architect Kevin Clark explained the Adoramus bulletin that ever since the chapel was built. It is amazing to watch Catholics and non-Catholics participate in the physical beauty of the building. Mm -hmm. It's part of their conversation. It's an intrigue. There are quite a number of non-Catholics I bump into when I'm giving tours. They just want to be there. They just want to see it. And it has really become an element of the city's fabric. They would Google a picture, said Kevin Clark, recalling the design process and hold up the picture on their iPhones asking, can we have a communion rail that looks like this? (laughs) Can we have a dome? Look at this bell tower. Everyone was sharing images. It was an amazing scene. One student-inspired feature of the new church that has drawn comments is the communion rail. Separating the sanctuary from the chapel's main body, the communion rail is used at all masses. Some of the students stand, but the vast majority kneel down to receive Holy Communion. Father Robert Maita, the center's pastor, said, quote, there's, there's something different when you kneel to receive our Lord than when you stand. We have students who come from all over, in state and out of state, and they all embrace that devotion. I haven't had one student say, why are we doing this, Father? All the acts of devotion that were almost stripped away for a number of years, when you introduce the students to these same devotions, they fall in love with them. Jesse, can I just jump in? This is so obvious what is going on here. And I, I, I wish our folks up in Rome, you know, uh, the Holy Father and, <laughs> and the bishops, I'm, I'm being honest with you, listen to this. Because what they're saying is we're hearing, we're hearing things that no more standing, no more kneeling down for communion in Rome. Only, and you can't receive Holy Communion on the, ha- on, on the tongue anymore, only on the hand. You know, they're doing just the opposite. I almost sometimes think, Jesse, that they're trying to dis- to, to destruct the church from within I think they are. I think so too. Okay, I think I think they are. I think we have a lot of Masons and and Marxists that are that infiltrators. Hold, yeah, infiltrators in the church positions of power, mm-hmm. and that's exactly the goal of of these Marxists. They hate the Catholic Church. So. They always have, and uh, and just to, you know, just to prove my point, I think it was Pope Paul the I, I I should have grabbed the quote before the show. Back in the sixties or seventies, yeah. he, he was looking at the way Vatican II was playing out, Terry, yeah. and he said, "I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase him." He said, "The church is going through an auto demolition." He said that. I, I didn't say that. Early seventies, Saint Paul the Sixth said, said this. Yeah, that's right. He looked at the he looked at the landscape of the church, yep. and he said, "The Catholic Church is going through an auto demolition." What does that mean? It's eating itself up. That's what he meant. Throwing all it's the distro- old, new stuff, uh, old stuff away, bringing yeah. in some new worldly things. Yeah, that and again, uh, Saint James in uh, chapter three says to be friends with the world is to be an enemy exactly. of God. Exactly. And we brought in all the worldly things. Let me finish the article. It says here, we can also cite a, 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 a final example of attraction to the beauty of religious buildings at the Catholic Center at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. The new chapel of St. Paul was also built inspired by the beauty of traditional Catholic architecture. One of those responsible for the center explained that they chose to build a more traditional building because students were thirsty for beauty. They based their decision on a study that listed beauty as one of the most important reasons people come and stay in Catholicism. The facility needs to be large, beautiful, and visible enough for students to realize this. The students tell us that their friends do not understand that the great concrete buildings next to the bookstore is a church. <laughs> the project took elements of the church's architectural history that embodies the beauty of our faith, but are also complementary to downtown Madison. These examples show that, the, that youth, the, the, show, the, show the myth that youth is only attracted to modern things is false. 
Beauty attracts all ages at all times and all places. Yeah, Jesse, this article is so good. And I want to remind everybody to go uh, subscribe to the Adoramus Bulletin. I was one of the founders of that organization back in 1995 with Father Joe Fessio. And they have a newsletter that goes out online. And just put adoramus.org and you'll get some good formation on liturgy. There you go, Jess. Yeah, Terry, and also... uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, uh, he made a comment on on church buildings back in the 70s. He said this, quote, Have you noticed how devoid of decoration our modern architecture is? Oh, yeah. What a contrast to the cathedrals where there were all all material things. The ancient architecture was always using material things as signs of something spiritual. But today our architecture is flat, nothing but steel and glass, almost like a cracker box. Why? Because our architects have no spiritual message to convey. The material is just the material, nothing else. Hence, no decor, no significance, no meaning, no soul. Catechesis in stone. Catechesis in stone. You're right. Thanks. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Winston Churchill, also talking about catechesis in stone, he says, when we plan our buildings, we shape them. Thereafter... Our buildings shape us. Oh, yeah. The way you worship is the way you believe. Yeah. So, in other words, a church is something that must be beautiful for God because it's it's like the antechamber of heaven. Yes. It, 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 yeah. It's it's a worthy, right. you know, habitation for the Lord of heaven and earth because the tabernacle's there. You think? And that's the whole point. When we make visits to the Blessed Sacrament, it's a taste of heaven. We just really have to get that back to the sacredness of the church, the sacredness of the sacraments, and get any worldliness out of our church. And I mean that, Jess, from the bottom of my heart. Get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, like Richard said, it's a, the church is a catechism in stone. That's, right. That's what it is. That's right. The church is, is a beacon. It's a city set on a hill. Just the beauty of a church can evangelize without saying anything. Absolutely. Because by expressing beauty, you're pointing people to the to the transcendent God you got it. who is perfect beauty. So when you see a church that's that's beautiful, when you hear a, sir, a homily that's good and you read doctrine that's true, all of that points to the the three transcendentals that describe God perfectly because he is perfect goodness, perfect beauty and perfect truth. Amen, amen, amen. And I say to you, yes. We come hey, we back. got church Milton next next Eric. Up next. Church Milton up next. We got it. Folks. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Child of God and a king of this world. We've got uh, Church Militant, our weekly uh, update on church news, politics, and the culture wars. And I think we have uh, Hunter Bradford today. Hunter, how are you, my yes. friend? Welcome. It's Welcome, my friend. James. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's not uh, how Mr. James. <laughs> not Mr. James Fidoa. <laughs> no. Yeah. How are you guys, though? Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're blessed by the best, and uh, we want to tell the rest. Too blessed to be stressed. So That's let's, right. let's get into this first story here that you'll be hearing if you tune into Evening News at 5 p.m. tonight. Uh, on Monday, January 23rd, the New Mexico State Attorney General, his name is Raul Torres, He filed an emergency petition Mm -hmm. all the way to the New Mexico State Supreme Court. 
Now, he skipped all the lower courts in doing this. Now, why did he do it? Because some small towns in the state of New Mexico have become sanctuary cities to uh, defend the unborn. So he doesn't like that people uh, you know, can't kill babies in those towns. And he said, hey, state Supreme Court, I want you to do something about it. Uh, no surprise here. Unbelievable. You know, it's, it's uh, Hunter, we're going to be fighting this battle until the second coming of Christ. All we did, uh, we, we poked the bear, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm glad that we defeated the, the, uh, the leftists at the U.S. Supreme Court, and now uh, we, we beat them, uh, you know, as per federal law. But these, and that's, you know what they are? They're like zombies. They're like zombies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, 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 they, they, all they want, they have this lust for death. Yeah, I look at the the party of death, the Democrats, as zombies. They just have this. Lu- I mean, they have no moral conscience, like a zombie. They have no heart, like a zombie, and they lust for death. And uh, good for those uh, people in, in, in New Mexico that are fighting back. There's some good people out there, out there, and uh, and, yes. good, and they're all over the country. We we are the silent majority. But we have to start speaking up. We can't be silent anymore, Hunter. Yeah, and actually uh, another part of this story is that he's totally um, running in contradiction with the Catholic idea of subsidiarity, that the idea that uh, a higher level should not interfere with a lower level when that lower level can fulfill that duty or activity. Uh, He doesn't need to involve himself in... uh, The state Supreme Court doesn't need to involve himself uh, itself in the um, the affairs of these small towns and decisions that those decisions those uh, places and uh, authorities have made. But uh, to the second story, so every year since 2014, the uh, city of Columbia, Missouri, hosts what they call they their Columbia Values Diversity Breakfast. Now uh, they say it's inspired by Martin Luther King, and so they wanted to offer him a uh, sort of, they wanted to honor him by this breakfast. Now this year though, it was, it was just uh, Thursday, January 19th, almost, almost a week ago, they had their breakfast and they invited all these school kids. So a bunch of middle schoolers were there, uh, I think from at least three different schools. But what they didn't tell the parents who were there, in addition to the school uh, officials, was that there at the end of breakfast there was going to be a drag show because you know what everyone's classic american breakfast it's it's bacon it's eggs it's sausage and then drag show on the side now the parents didn't know that there would be a drag show but the the district the school district board totally knew uh because the website uh the website that they um on their website they announced that at the end, there would be uh, a entertainment from Inclusion Plus. It's an organization that specializes in drag shows. Um, but of course, uh, we we know that Satan hates the family. He wants to destroy the family. Um, but that means that it's going to concretize in um, in ways that we see today. One of those one of those million ways uh, are drag shows and parents sometimes bringing kids to them, but in this case, the parents had no idea that the breakfast would include, towards the end, a drag show. I can remember a point in time, I'm, I'm dating myself, I'm as old as Mike Voris, your boss. Uh, there was a point in time when I was a cop that twerking in public 
or these drag shows, that would be a crime. That was called indecent exposure. And, and I booked several people back in the 80s and 90s for those criminal charges, it, it, exposing themselves to minors or exposing themselves to somebody else unwanted, uh, you know, parts of their body, you know, and now, obviously, that, that, that law just went out the window. That, that's no longer a crime, apparently, because we have woke district attorneys that won't prosecute. And also something else that I want to throw in the mix here is that a lot of these these drag queens, well, first of all, so people, what's a drag queen? It's a guy who thinks he's a girl, okay? Yeah, really ill. Yeah, and, and they, they, they try to dress, you know, you can put lip on a, uh, lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You can put a bra on an ugly dude, it's still a dude, okay? You could put, you know, underwear, you know, female underwear on a guy, it's still a guy. And he, but here's the problem, Hunter, is that, a lot of these drag queens, they're also connected with the occult. How do I know that? Because on social media, a lot of these drag queens, they're proud of what they do, so they post a lot of their information on social media. You'll find every single drag queen that has some type of notoriety, they're involved with Satanism or some type of witchcraft. All of these men are involved in the occult. And so it's not a coincidence that they're going after just like that pagan deity, Molech and Baal, who we reject and rebuke and renounce in Jesus' name, they're, they're just sons of, of these two demon Old Testament deities, and they're going after our children to sexualize them and pornify them at a very young age. Yes, they are. Now, I think parents, of course, you know, this is like a common sense, no-brainer statement. They need to fight back against this. But the question is really how, um, of course, if you have your, your child in public school, um, not necessarily, I'm going to say, you don't have to take them out of public school. It may be the case that you can't um, send them to private school or homeschool them. But a serious conversation needs to be had between uh, the parents. And also, in addition to that, which is very basic and fundamental, you need to be teaching them what the church teaches um, about sexuality and, and all that it entails, uh, that you are a male and female you are male, excuse me, you are male or female uh, through and through, and that means biologically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. Um, it isn't, we aren't, of course, just bodies. We are body and soul. The parents have a supreme and high duty to um, transmit the faith down to uh, their children. Hunter, you make a good point because the Catechism teaches that every house, every Catholic home is called the domestic church. And so, Dad, guess what, Dad? You're the priest of the home. And guess what, Dad? You're called to teach your kids. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You know, a man will leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let no man put asunder and be fruitful and multiply. Those are basic natural law and spiritual laws that we have to impart to our kids. There is only two genders uh, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, male and female, period. Not, there's no, there wasn't 50 genders in the beginning. And all mm -hmm. that's incumbent upon mom and dad to get that information down the family line. Now, uh, no, everything you're saying is true. I also want to say, though, um, yes, uh, you know, the church knows that the, the father is the head of the family and the wife is to um, follow his lead. But she can't follow his lead if he is not leading. 
Um, if, if a child is struggling with a particular sin and the father knows about it, is he fasting more for that kid? Is he, is he praying more? Is he waking up earlier in the day before his wife and kids do to pray? Is he reading scripture? Is he praying the rosary more than just once a day? Which, by the way, Our Lady, in every church-approved Marian apparition has said, pray the rosary. Um, what is he doing as spiritual head of the family? Uh, because he has a responsibility, not, he doesn't, he, of course he has rights, but he needs to think of himself as father, as having responsibilities, things he ought to do for his wife and kids. That's right. What else have we got in the news? Uh, third and last story. Uh, so the Catholic father of seven who was arrested last year in September for allegedly assaulting an abortion escort, um, Catholic father of seven, Mark Houck. His trial, uh, it started hearing testimony today uh, by an Obama-appointed judge, of course. Mm -hmm. Now, this one is, it's, it's, it's sad, it infuriates you, because you know that there's really two tiers of justice uh, in this country. A, a dad protects his son from an abortion escort who continues to harass the son, despite the dad uh, telling the escort to knock it off. Um, and so a dad just being a good dad, the type of dad who probably does some of the things I was just mentioning uh, moments ago and is getting penalized for it in court. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks, thanks a lot for being uh, putting out this information and, uh, to the body of Christ, to the Catholic Church, and uh, to people of goodwill. How can people uh, listen to Church Militant's Evening News? Well, churchmilitant.com, again, that is churchmilitant.com. It comes on the show at 5 p.m. every weekday. So tune in, uh, churchmilitant.com at 5 p.m. And Evening News is just one of the shows that we have. Um, you can get access to every single show, hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of great, faithful Catholic content to enrich you and your family in the faith uh, with just $10 a month. So churchmilitant.com. Thanks a lot, my Thanks. friend. Yeah, thanks a lot, Hunter. Thanks for all you guys do. You guys are doing good work. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless you. All right, God bless you. You have a good rest of your day. You got it, buddy. Well, <clears throat> as Catholics, let's not forget that our specific mission as Catholics is to get our families to heaven. Just like Hunter was saying, especially if you dads. I'm going to give you uh, something for, for dads. Here's an action item for dad. Every night before you go to bed, bless your children. Make it, make it simple. As a father in the house, you have natural law authority and spiritual authority over your children and your wife. Raise your hand over your wife and your children every night and say, I bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You have the right to do that. You should do that in the morning and in the evening. Raise your right hand over your wife and your, and your kids and say, I bless you. I bless you. You're the priest of the house. I. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do it in the morning. Do it in the evening. Start calling down God, buckets of God's grace upon your wife and your kids and protect them against the world, the devil, and the flesh. That's a wrap. Terry and Jesse show. We're done. And uh, as Catholics, let's not forget prayer rosaries every day. Live in a state of grace. Do not live in a state of mortal sin. Run a confession if you're in mortal sin. And we'll see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith. Know your faith. Live your faith and spread your faith. God bless you.